Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. As some of you may know, my TV duties have ratcheted up considerably the last couple of weeks. I'm now living in LA and appearing on a daily basis Monday through Friday on FS1's afternoon show Speak, as well as sitting in as a guest with Colin Cowherd and First Things First. Because of all that TV work, discussing football as well as basketball, I intended to use this episode to discuss how and why statistics are more easily used to paint false narratives in basketball than any other sport. And I'm still going to talk about that. But I'm also going to dive into the controversy sparked by Kendrick Perkins of ESPN, insinuating that Nikola Jokic is on the cusp of winning a third straight MVP award because he's white and so are the majority of voters. I can feel my pulse jumping merely by saying that. But before I get to that, let me get to this, which in some ways loosely ties into the Jokic topic. One of the perspectives I found myself explaining a lot on TV lately is how I'm not particularly impressed with individual statistics by NBA players when they don't result in wins. And it got me to thinking about statistics for NFL players and why it's different, why I am more willing to equate a running back's yardage or a quarterback's touchdown-interception ratio, ratio as a more accurate gauge of how good they are as a player and not necessarily assign them responsibility for their play resulting in wins. Obviously, it's because in football, players are only responsible for one side of the ball. They are naturally dependent on other players to do their job. So to equate winning with players on either side of the ball uh, solely just wouldn't be fair. 
And again, there are variables in every situation. The quality of a running back's offensive line or for a wide receiver or quarterback, the creativity of his offensive coordinator or the game planning and adjustments by the head coach, all those things play a part in how good their numbers might be. But it's much easier to discern if they're the weak link or whether they are boosting the people in the positions that complement their work or vice versa. And in any case, attaching whether they're winning or not to whether they're doing their job, it's just giving them too far too much responsibility for winning. But football really does require every individual to do their particular job in order for the collective to work. And what is their job? That's the separation. In football, the coaching staff lays out what needs to be done. And for the most part, it is each individual player's responsibility to execute that plan. By and large, every player has to make decisions within the realm of what they're doing, their position. But each one makes them within the parameters of what his responsibility is. Basketball is quite different, particularly for star players, because they are the arbiters in how they approach the task of winning. They're the ones who decide whether to shoot or pass, or where on the floor they're going to operate, or whether they're going to attack the rim or launch a three, or whether they're going to devote their energy evenly between offense and defense or more on one side of the ball versus the other. It's not complete autonomy from what the coach wants, but it's certainly a hell of a lot more than what any running back or receiver or even a quarterback has. The best of the best QBs have the latitude to change plays, but those changes are still within the parameters of the plays run by that particular coach and the variables that he has provided for each one of them. They can't go completely off script. NBA player can. QB can change the play, but he's still working from the coach's playbook. (laughs) Star player, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, even Steph Curry, they can go completely off script. LeBron isn't restricted by Darvin Ham's playbook. I hope none of you think that. And Steph Curry and Draymond Green are not restricted by Steve Kerr's choices. Which is why I feel so strongly that measuring a great basketball player by statistics alone is not taking into account a huge chunk of what we should be measuring. A great player is, more often than not, going to have standout box lines. Box score lines, that is. They usually have some sort of physical or athletic advantage to begin with, usually both, and they have the ball in their hands more than anyone else. But what is the result of the numbers that they accumulate? Are they, in essence, making decisions that lead to winning the game? If they're not, then how important is that box score really? I've long felt this about players who put up gargantuan scoring numbers in a game. If that total comes in a loss, it has to be discounted. Maybe it wouldn't have made a difference if they'd put some of their energy into some other part of the game, defense, passing, rebounding. But we have to accept that it's possible it might have. The quick dismissal of 
duty, the viewpoint that player X got 50 tonight, so certainly the loss isn't on him, he did his job, is a fallacy. I think it comes maybe from college and high school because, again, that's where the coach determines more of what is being run. And players are only going to operate off those options. They don't have the same leeway. NBA is a different story. If player X gets 50 and an NBA team loses, he did not do his job. Not if he's a star player. Or even if he's not. If a role player gets 50 or a player that normally doesn't score like that and his team loses, is it possible that he should have devoted his energy to whatever the team expected him to accomplish? That he was supposed to be a defensive stopper and he gave, he scored 50, he gave up 60. Um, that's, an exact, that's a large number. But let's say a, a player who normally doesn't score gets 20 points. If he was, is supposed to be a, a defensive maven and does not play defense well, then ultimately that he got a big number, he had a nice box score line, doesn't mean that he did his job by any stretch. Quite the opposite. My view of this was underscored by conversations that I had recently with a variety of players about their definition of MVP. It's a, going to be in a piece that it's going to appear on foxsports.com. Look for it. Because uh, I wanted to compare how players and coaches define MVP, look at MVP, what an MVP is versus the media. And I talked to media members as well to see if there's a real dichotomy between the way people in the game look at it and the way voters select them. Again, look for it on foxsports.com. But I, I asked the players and the coaches for that matter, but the players, what they look at to determine who they think the MVP is in a given year. Steph Curry went, said to me once years ago, we were talking about this subject, and he just said, you just know, at some point, you just know that this, there's, there's that guy that is having that season. and But I wanted to get down to a granular level of what it is. And one of the elements that players take into consideration that I'm pretty sure voting media members do not because they're not privy to game plans is a player's, to a, a player's ability to outwit or overcome a team's game plan to stop him. They don't care if his numbers are the bigger uh, ones than the next guy that he's competing with for MVP. It's all about what kind of numbers does he get in spite of everything being done to prevent him from getting them. And what many fans in some media may not understand is that some teams decide it's not worth stopping a particular player from getting his numbers, particularly scoring, because they've been able to recognize that his team doesn't win when he scores a lot. That, that his numbers don't impact the outcome of the game. And as anyone listens to me on a regular basis, you know that I felt that that's been the case with LeBron James the last few years. His scoring average is amazing for a player his age. But is it the best use of his energy if it's not producing wins, which it has not? Look at how often teams double him or who they have guarding him one-on-one -on -one for the better part of the game. They don't double him. And they'll generally have an undersized player, not necessarily their best defensive player, guarding him one-on-one. -on -one. It's almost inviting him. Please, LeBron, 
expend your energy scoring because you don't have enough of that coming. You don't have enough of the other elements being provided by the rest of the team. What has made LeBron an all-time great is that he was capable of doing everything that you needed. So don't tell me you know, that it's somebody else's job to make plays or rebound or defend. You're telling me the only way he can impact the game now is scoring and that he's not capable of those other things? I don't think LeBron fans are saying that. But let me stop here before I go down a LeBron rabbit hole because we may never get back and there's too much else to discuss. Beginning with the insinuation Perkins made about me and the other roughly 60 white awards voting members of the media which is that we're racist. He didn't say that in those exact words, which is what's sort of disappointing and infuriating. He implied it with carefully constructed parameters, pointing out that since 1990, only three players have won MVP that weren't in the top 10 in scoring. Dirk Nowitzki, Steve Nash, and Nikola Jokic. And then he posed the question, what do they have in common? Answer, of course, they're the only white players to win MVP since 1990. By the way, he started it in 1990 because in 1989, Magic Johnson won MVP and he wasn't a top 10 scorer. And he's not white. And that kind of kills the point that Perk was hoping to make. He then drew a line to the voting members of the media, which he said was 80% white. But when J.J. Redick confronted him by saying on air that suggesting Jokic might win MVP again because of racism, that that was ridiculous, and if Perk was going to make that claim, he shouldn't be coy about it, but just come out and say it, Perk got upset. He was the kid who throws the rock, hides his hand, and then is indignant when he's accused of breaking the neighbor's window. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I, I don't know why he didn't want to just fess up and say, yeah, I'm saying it's racist. I'm saying the voting is racist. The choice of Nikola Jokic is racist. Not that I'm just asking a question. I'm going to guess that he's not a Fox News viewer, but that's that's one of their tropes. That's one of their tricks is to say I'm not accusing anybody. I'm just asking a question. <laughs> now let me say I've always had a good relationship with Perk and JJ when they were players. And I wouldn't be opposed to having the same relationship now that they're in the media. Who knows? Maybe we're 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 good. I don't know. I've, I've, I have had my critiques uh, on this podcast of them, whether they're aware of them or not, I don't know. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm open to having the same healthy relationship I had with them, uh, mutually respectful relationship that we had when they were players, even though they work for a rival company. But Perk is 
and I'm being kind here, is wilden, as the kids like to say. And Reddick is leaving meat on the bone when it comes to his rebuttals. I thought he was wrong-headed in how he went at Chris Russo over the all-time great three-point shooter conversation. I talked about that in a previous podcast. And he missed such an easy way to completely take apart Perk's accusation. He just needed to do a little work. So let's start with this. The voters are not 80% white. It breaks down roughly 60-40. But the real element that destroys Perk's argument is that among the non-white voters last year, a majority voted for Jokic as MVP. In other words, if you eliminated all the white voters and their votes, Jokic still wins MVP last year. Now, technically he was sixth in scoring, so I'm guessing that Perk is basing his white non-top 10 theory on this year's race, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Jokic being a top 10 scorer wasn't what won him the award last year. Being top 10 in assists, leading the league in total rebounds and defensive rebounds and playing 74 games, which was more than uh, Joel Embiid and Giannis Antetokounmpo, his closest MVP rivals, and playing without the team's next two best players in Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. I'd say that is what won him the award. And Perk's assertion wouldn't bother me as much if I hadn't just had a number of conversations with media members, both black and white, about MVP voting and their process of deciding. There was much agony expressed over voting for Jokic this year, whether they should or not, and second-guessing for those who have voted for him in the past. Steph Curry, Jason Tatum, Joel Embiid, and Giannis Antetokounmpo were the other names that came up as being candidates this year. And the talk was of balancing teams, team wins and individual statistics and how do you do that. And, you know, now that I'm looking at it, if I wanted to take a page from Perk's book, I'd say, what does Steph Curry, Jason Tatum, Joel Embiid, and Giannis Antetokounmpo all have in common? I'm not going to go there. For the record, Giannis was at the top of my ballot two years ago. Joel Embiid was at the top of my ballot last year. This is the first year that Jokic could end up there. But according to, to Perkins, I have a bias because I'm white and so is Jokic. There is no, well, he wasn't talking about you out for Perk here. Yes, he was talking about me because I'm a voter and I'm white. And he's suggesting that my skin color is the reason Jokic could have three MVPs. It sounds dumb, doesn't it? Because it is. Perk also seems to think that Jokic is being rewarded and facing less scrutiny about his lack of postseason success all because he's white. Well, didn't Russell Westbrook win through the same formula, beating out James Harden and Kawhi Leonard despite their teams having greater success? Because Westbrook's individual numbers were so impressive and his team was looked as not having a whole lot of other talent and he therefore was credited for leading the Thunder to more wins than were expected. Uh, by the way, I also, when it comes to voting last year, so more non-white voters voted for Jokic than voted for anybody else. 
and more white voters voted for Giannis and for Joel Embiid than non-white voters. There was a total of 35 first place votes for Embiid and Giannis last year. 19 of them, 19 of the 35, came from white voters. So again, the idea that race is dictating who's voting for who, just it doesn't add up. Now I've seen reactions on Twitter that Reddick, and probably this will be said of me too, um, is that we don't understand what Perkins is talking about because we're white. And there are no doubt experiences in society that a white person doesn't understand about the black experience. NBA MVP voting is not one of them. Or if you want to suggest it is, then you need to deliver some proof. Because I've spent 30 years covering this league. All 30 as an awards voter. And there have been times when I thought voting was skewed or media members were prejudiced against a player for reasons outside of what they should be. And I have seen the voting block become more diverse. There's 90 men of the 100, 90 men, 10 women, I'm going to guess half a dozen or more international, maybe more, maybe close to a dozen international media members who are voting. And as I said, but overall, um, non-white versus white is about a 60-40 split. White still a majority, but nowhere near what I would say it was when I first came into the league 30 years ago. So again, if we're trying to manipulate this or orchestrate it to make sure that white athletes, white players still get MVP now and then, um, I don't know, would we would be moving in that direction? Would that, that's, look, it's not perfect. I'm not suggesting that there's not racism in the NBA or anyplace else. But what Perk is suggesting is a little, little bit beyond that. And he's doing it with the proof skewed against him when it comes to Nikola Jokic. There have been times when I thought voting was skewed or media members were prejudiced against a player for reasons outside of what they should be, but they were never race-based. Kobe Bryant didn't only win one MVP because he's black. It's because, I I could tell, voters thought he was selfish. And there is a tendency, as I see it, for voters to skew toward the friendlier guys, the more personable guys, and the guys that are regarded as good teammates. Now, when only three white players have won MVP, it's, again, color of skin is not driving it. Personality may, but that's a different animal, and that's not what Perk is talking about. The more personable guys, the guys that are regarded as good teammates, those are the guys that I believe have an advantage over someone. If I'm going to explain why Kobe didn't get it, that would be my explanation because he certainly deserved it more. And I think it's kind of corny and not a true reflection of how winning actually occurs in the NBA. But again, when I say that that personality base, that 
the view of the guy's gregarious, he's a he's unselfish, all of that. I think that plays well. Um and with voters, or at least it has traditionally. And as for Jokic not getting enough heat for not having a championship yet, well, how much heat does James Harden get for that? He's been bashed for his lack of postseason success, but not directly because he's not a champion. And what about Westbrook, another former MVP, or Allen Iverson, or Charles Barkley, or Carl Malone, a two-time MVP winner? I haven't killed Jokic for not winning a championship despite winning two MVPs. I've probably done more killing of my media brethren who voted him MVP than Jokic for not winning a championship. One, because I wasn't voting him for him as an MVP. And two, I've never thought that he had a team capable of winning a championship. And the way he plays requires that he have that kind of talent around him. It's why he has yet to be at the top of my MVP ballot and why I'm not sold that the Denver Nuggets, in spite of their record, in spite of being the best team or having the best record in the Western Conference, are going to the finals or are going to win it. Because this, as I see it, is why it's hard for me to buy into the Nuggets winning the title no matter what their regular season record is. And it's because in a close game, Murray or Porter Jr. are probably going to decide it with a shot off a pass from Jokic. So it's not that Jokic is the MVP as far as winning a championship. It's how good do you think Murray or Porter Jr. are? Can they be the closer? Can they be LeBron's Kyrie in Cleveland? If you believe that, then maybe you think that they can get there. I'm not so sure. But Jokic, in any case, is not going to force the issue. He's like LeBron in that way. He'll take the shot if he has to, but his first inclination is to try to set someone else up to take it, which, as I see it, is a flaw when you're talking about your best player leading you to a championship because it means a team's second best player has to think and perform like a number one at the most critical time. If you want to understand why Kobe and Shaq worked so well, uh, were able to three-peat, it's because they had that combination. Kobe was good, even though he thought he was a one, later proved he was a one. He was good with Shaq being a one for the vast majority of the game. And then he could step in and be the one when it was closing time. Here's one more crazy part about the whole perk issue. We have a month to go, five weeks, actually, as I record this in the regular season. And I'd say uh, Jokic is maybe my favorite, but he hasn't locked up this year's award by any stretch, at least not not on my ballot. Embiid is very much alive. Giannis, very much alive. So it's just weird to insinuate something as inflammatory as The voting this year is going to be racist when the thing you're pointing to as proof has yet to officially happen. If we're discounting that he wasn't talking about last year, because last year, Jokic was a top 10 scorer. The most dangerous part of this, and the part that disappoints me the most, 
is that when you point to racism as the reason for something, and then you are easily proved wrong, it's then easy for people to argue that there is no racism or that it's not nearly as bad as you make it out to be. And, and they use instances like this as proof. Ah, the guy's always complaining. Guy's always saying it's racist. So it gives people an excuse to turn off the suggestion that we need to be better. Bones Highland is a perfect example. Now a clipper, former Nugget. He believes his former teammate, who he played with up until the trade deadline, deserves to be MVP and that it's not close. Highland is black, by the way, if you didn't know. I told him what Perk said about Jokic winning because he's white and that racism is a factor in, voking, in, high, uh, in voting. Rather. And Highland paused when I said that. I could tell. like he didn't, he didn't want to say there is no racism in voting or in the media that covers the NBA. Um, but he also didn't want to say that that was a reason that Jokic is likely to be MVP. But because Perk has suggested it is, it is easy to dismiss other situations that may legitimately involve racism as being the same wrong-headed accusation. We may run into that in some other voting way. I, do, I doubt it with the NBA voting block because I just don't think it's a consideration. But if something came up, like if it's going to be too... It's going to be too easy to say, oh, we already heard that. We heard that about Jokic and it wasn't right. It's, it's going to be easy to say, oh, there he or they go again. Remember when they said the MVP voting was racist? It kills not just Perk's credibility, but that of anyone who wants to point out that maybe we need to take a second look at decisions and what is driving them. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I wish I could tell you what I'm going to hit in the next episode, but I promised no more false advertising. And right now, I'm just not 100% sure which direction I'm going to go. There's potential look at the Clippers the Warriors, what to make of the Lakers, and where they are and the importance of them finishing this up, as well as the difficult business decision that LeBron James has facing him about whether to come back or not for this season. All right, I threw a bunch of things out there. I'm not promising that any of them is going to happen, but potentially one of them could. So wanted to whet your appetite just a little bit. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.